0: into the net by Kylian Mbappé Oh Benyera, beautifully done Cornet finds Dembele The first touch is good, the second is deadly Neymar still Oh my word, what a goal Got lovely finish Oh yes, delivery again, head header Here's an opportunity, Sanchez Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta Play it again And
1: back Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done it
2: Bonjour and bienvenue. Welcome to Le Beaujeu, the beautiful game with all you need to know and probably what you didn't know you needed to know about the French game. From your claquette to your claquage, we've got it all in the most dramatic Ligue 1 season in living memory where the drama and talking points are coming faster than Kylian Mbappe can put the ball in the back of the net. Things are becoming a little bit clearer though after round 35 of the season we've got three matches left to play Paris Saint-Germain have edged ever closer to the title we know more or less who the top three are going to be we have three of the bottom four identified who will be going down and in today's show we will be looking back at all the latest installment and even when Ashraf Hakimi channeled his inner Zlatan Ibrahimovic and stormed off after a red card with an inflammatory, ça, c'est la France. This is France. Well, in today's show, we may be addressing what is exactly France and its football. To do that, we have Jonathan Johnson. JJ, how are you this morning? Doing very well. Thanks, Robbie, and yourself? Excellent. Very good. It's been a a big weekend of football down under, and I was getting up very early to to stay across the... uh, the action, I even got caught out with a, a different time zone because Australia is so big. In Adelaide, I missed the first half of uh, the first half an hour of PSG. Ajaxio, which kicked off actually at 4.30 in the morning. So it wasn't easy. <laughs> that, 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 some of the sacrifices you make here on the other side of the planet. Andy Scott, i assume it was easier for you this weekend, even though I know you're notoriously slow starter in the mornings.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi, Robbie. Yeah, particularly difficult because I was up at two o'clock in the morning um, on Sunday to catch a flight from Edinburgh back to Paris. So, uh, so last night was a much-needed sleep. Um, so, yeah, half my weekend was spent in Scotland and half in half in France. Very good. Very nice to get back home.
2: Well, we're going to start our roundup of the action. Then, before we do, I'll just remind everyone: no matter your podcast platform that you're listening to us on or social media platforms as well. We're on Twitter, of course, and on the World Wide Web at league1.com. But follow us, rate us, share us, get the word out there that this is where you can learn everything about French football, more or less, as it happens. So first up on the weekend, we're going to focus on Lens versus Stade de Reims and calling all the action in Paris. Was Callum Brown.
3: Alexi flips. Interesting ball in behind. Marshall Munetzi bearing down on goal. He's been brought down by Kevin Danso. Penalty to Rance. And a red card for the Austrian. Found himself chasing down Marshall Munetzi there. There's an arm on the back of the Zimbabwean from Danso. He'll be following Balogun up against Brice Somba. Up steps again it's into the far corner. Somba gets right, but Balogun scores, and that is number 19 of the league on campaign for the Arsenal lorry. and That is a huge, huge moment in this game. Something off the ball there. So Penza goes down. Play continues. Agbado. Adrian Thomas, and he was shoved by Agbado. Penalty to Lance. Zemslav Frankowski. With the chance from the spots to the goalkeepers right. It will be Frankowski straight down the middle. And Lawrence level before the break. Well, the ten men are back in this. What a game we've got on our hands. Machado for Fofana. Lovely drop of the shoulder. Seco Fofana. Absolutely brilliant from Seco Fofana. He puts Lawrence in front just like he did last weekend against Marseille and the ten men have the lead it's great from Machado but it's all Fofana beyond Agbedou such a powerful run gliding beyond Rand Schertz and he slips it beyond Yvangouf Launch lead 2-1 here at the Stad Bollart. this a huge goal in their season
2: Ten men fighting back to take the lead. So, Lens have assured their place in the top three. JJ, it's an amazing season that they are having. And after that little little drop in form, after defeating Paris Saint-Germain, where, of course, Franck Ez, uh joined in the post-match celebrations and said, On les a chicote, and sang it to the fans, which put the mocker on his team. But they have got back to winning ways, courtesy in large part, to this incredible form of Seko Fofana, who's just uh, miraculous. And again today, they were down to 10 men. It finished 10 apiece, but uh, they are a side that know how to win.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, and I think that's sort of what made it all the more impressive. You know, you have Danso sent off. uh, They go down 1-0 to the penalty. And I I think Will Still's comments post-match were quite telling, where he said that he felt that Hans had really sort of you know handed the the victory or the the keys to victory uh to lance but i I, th- I think that is probably also uh you know doing a disservice to lance because this determination that we've seen from them certainly over the last couple of months since they've come back into form is you know it's just incredible uh you know you mentioned earlier sort of that that dip in form after they beat PSG. And it really does feel that that's almost kind of cost them this improbable shot at the title. I mean, we know, obviously, PSG beat them at Parc des Princes a couple of weeks ago, uh, and sort of in terms of the the title race in an immediate sense, that that kind of distanced the two and has probably done uh, for the title race this season. But equally, you know, had Lance continued in that form earlier this year, they may well be sort of, you know, level Uh, in pegging with PSG right now, or maybe even ahead of them. So, uh, you know, I do think it's much to to Lance's credit that they've been able to to sort of fight back in the way that they have. And also, you know, not just get themselves into the top three, but, you know, to have a strong shot at finishing the season and seeing out this second place uh, that they've earned for themselves at the moment. So, you know, massive credit to them. Like you said, you know, Seco Favana, hugely important, uh, you know, in this I mean, I wouldn't call it a recovery because it's not exactly like they dropped down into a poor position in the league, but, uh, you know, sort of this second wind of, uh, of of this incredible season that they're going through.
2: Andy, there is a, almost a, a movement. We know that France loves a, a good political movement, a little bit of upheaval, but on social media in France, there's a bit of a movement saying, Lens should be the true champions of Ligue 1 this year, irrespective of where Paris Saint-Germain finished. They're just... Got this good vibe feeling about them. It sort of goes against the tr- one of the great traditions of football, which is the team that wins the most points is crowned champions. But you know, France occasionally like to do things a little bit differently, and and there there, there is this <laughs> feeling though that Lens, if they can finish second, will be like a an unofficial champion. Is that what's that due to? I mean, we know that Lens and and Bienvenue chez the the people in the north, they're happy go lucky lucky people. This is a an underdog side that's that's come good and is doing the right stuff but what is it essentially that that has these people saying you know this 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 side how they do it should be crowned the real
1: true people's champions of france well well obviously obviously paris saint-germain will be the real true champions of france if if they finish top of the table but um i mean it is it's a point that that I, I think is is an important one i mean ultimately PSG are partly responsible for this because when you when you are a club with the the budget that they have, the power that they have, um, in a way, they're on a hiding to nothing. In other words, if they don't win the title and do it in spectacular fashion, um, then people will not consider that to be, to be an achievement really worth celebrating because they have such an advantage over the other clubs at the end of the day. And PSG were very good in the first three months of the season. We shouldn't take that away from them. Of course, we kind of tend to forget that a little bit because we remember um obviously we remember the things that have happened more recently we remember them better and psg have been very poor for for much of the second half of the season the loss have been magnificent throughout the season you know they are uh, with three games left still mathematically in with a chance of winning the league they've lost the fewest games this season it's everything about that club which makes it hard not to uh, you know you have to admire what they've done and they they are underdogs you know financially they're not just miles off psg they're miles off Marseille and Monaco and, and one or two other teams as well. So from that point of view, um, they deserve all our plaudits. The job being done by Franck is turn what you might consider to be a relatively average group of players into a team that could still win the league with three games left is an astonishing achievement. It's not just about the work he's done; it's about the work done behind the scenes in building this team. It's about the atmosphere in the stadium. It's about everything they give off. And you know, of course, PSG if they if they if they have the most points, deserve to win the league. But you look at the atmos- atmosphere at that club right now and you look at the atmosphere in Lance, and you just think they deserve everything right now. They deserve all the success that's coming their way. It's not going to be enough to actually win the league, but they are the club who people will look back on this season and people will remember, first and foremost, what Lance have done because they're going to be qualifying for the Champions League. They've pushed PSG all this way. They beat PSG at home. They've beaten Marseille home and away. They've beaten Monaco home and away. They've just been fantastic. And and it's, it's, a, it's a superb achievement for a club like Lens in the modern footballing climate to be where they are. Well said, Andy Scott.
2: JJ, Lens have Lorient, Ajaxio and Auxerre still to come. Now, two of those sides, well, Ajaccio relegated. Auxerre fighting for their survival. Marseille's last three games, Lille, Brest and Ajaccio. Now in there after Brest's win on the weekend as well, and we will go through all the results. Nothing really for either, any of those three sides to play for. I suspect Lens and Marseille is now the real talking point. Can Lens hold on for that second place? Because we've seen in the past as well, third place, is something of a poison chalice in France.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I mean, we discussed it in the, the most recent podcast where, for me at least, it feels like the key game in this run-in now is going to be Marseille against Lille, uh, you know, this coming week. That feels like the one which could probably have the, the greatest ramifications on uh, on this race. That said, uh, you know, if Auxerre are still fighting for their lives, uh, you know, come the final day, that could be tricky for Lance. Uh, But equally, uh, you know, I think with that two-point advantage that Lens have, uh, you know, and and the fact that Marseille can still be a bit vulnerable at home from time to time, uh, you know, I feel that for me, I think that Lens certainly have the edge now and I'd be surprised if they don't see it out. But equally, uh, you know, crazy things can happen, uh, you know, when you're sort of fighting at, at either end of the table. But for me, I, I think a lot will depend on that ris- that Marseille-Lille uh, result. And if Marseille don't win, then for me, I think that Lance
2: have sewn up second spot. One for the statisticians out there. Rens' Folloran Balogun has got 19 goals now after he scored from the penalty spot. It's the highest scoring English player in Ligue 1 since 1946-47. Well, since the, the the first Englishman arrived, I guess that is. But he's overtaken Glenn Hoddle's 18 goals that he got with Monaco in 88-89. So that really is a fantastic achievement from the on-loan Arsenal player as well. We'll see if he is ready for the Premiership next season or whether he will move on elsewhere. In other results then, Monaco nil, lil, nil. Monaco officially out of the running for the Champions League. Now, uh, Wissam benyetta was still missing from the squad after an internal club suspension that didn't quite make as much news as uh, Lionel Messi's around the world, but he was late to a team talk last week and hasn't yet posted his apology video, it would appear, which is uh, the way to get back into the good books. Ren, they have thrown their hat right back into the ring for those European places, though I should say Monaco out of Champions League contention, not out of European contention altogether. Ren, 4-0 winners over Twat, which confirmed, and it was always going to be the case, Twat are one of the four relegated sides to go back to League 2 under their Aussie coach Patrick Kisnorbo at the end of this season. It's been a disastrous run. I think that's 19 matches without a win now for Twat. And um, they will be hoping, like Angers and now Ajaxio, that they uh, will enjoy better days in the second division next season. But for Rennes, sparkling form. They are closing right up now on Lille in fifth place. There's just one point separating them and European football. And at the moment, well, who'd put it past them? Jeremy Doku is in fine form at the moment. So is Karl Toko Akambi, who got a brace for his club. Last weekend, Olympic Lyonnais stunned the footballing community with that 5-4 win over Montpellier. Alexander Lacazette with a 100th minute penalty to win it at the death. Well, he had a 97th minute penalty to try and get back on level terms against Clermont on the weekend. And he missed out with it. Surely, guys, have gone Lyon's hopes of European football as well. The new man in charge, John Texter, um, got rid of Jean-Michel Olas, there's rumours that the, the the broom is coming through the staff there as well, on and off the pitch. There'll be no European football. John Texter wasn't there either at the weekend for his first game, officially in in charge of the club. He was in Belgium watching another of his investments go around. Andy, Leon out of European football. It's been a tough season for them. But just a word on on the European race, because we know France will, at least for a couple more months, have that extra European spot. They stay fifth in the U- UEFA index, despite um, immense pressure from the Netherlands, who will probably overtake them. I think. How does that work it, after after a couple of months next season?
1: No, it's it's uh, so so next so next season Fran- France has obviously got its um, uh, not next season the season after. France will have the extra place in, in the Champions League when the Champions League is being expanded from 2024. Um, so France, on the basis of the current coefficient, will have that extra spot in the Champions League um, come come 2024-25. But then obviously each season is is updated, so you so you lose a season going back the way. I'm not explaining this very well, but essentially it's only guaranteed for the 2024-25 season and then it gets updated again as we go along. And France is um performances this season, for example, have not been very good and so uh it's given the Netherlands a chance to catch up. Basically every season things get updated again and, and France's third place, extra place in the Champions League group stage is always going to be under threat um with each year that goes by. I mean listen, the performances need to improve. Uh Vincent Labrun, the president of the of the of the league here uh, gave an interview to the Sports Daily Le keep talking about, you know, the the need for French clubs to be doing better in Europe. Talking about the need to press home to the clubs how important it is for them to to really take uh, all European matches. Now, I don't think anybody's suggesting they don't take them seriously, but I think um, a decade or so ago, we did see French clubs often not necessarily field the strongest teams in in the Europa League, for example. I don't think that's the case now, but I think there is. I've, I've felt for a long time that there is um, the, the performances of French clubs in Europe do not reflect the quality of the French league. So, so lots of people outside France see French clubs not performing well in Europe. And of course, historically, French teams have a terrible record at winning European trophies. I say this often, but Scottish clubs have won more European trophies than French clubs, which is pretty incredible um, <clears throat> historically. So there is, that is not good enough. But the, the, it doesn't reflect fairly the level of French football. French football is, rightly, is is one of the top five leagues uh, around the continent. And yet it's clubs just, for some reason, it's not about quality per se. It's about many things that come together. They often underperform. I mean, this season we've seen Nice going out to Basel uh, in the Europa Conference League, especially disappointing. We've seen the clubs in the Europa League struggle to to really you know, raise their game. You know, Monaco going out in such disappointing fashion to a Leverkusen, Rennes blowing it against Shakhtar Donetsk. So somebody somewhere needs to be doing that bit better. Every season results seem to be disappointing. Of course, we shouldn't forget the performances of Monaco and Lyon uh, in in the Europa League in recent years and and, and PSG in the Champions League at times. But there is a raising of the game that is required so that in in one year and two years' time, we're not seeing every single time We need to watch out for the Dutch and the Portuguese on our backs. They might overtake us. You know, the the French game needs to establish itself as one of the top five leagues without a shadow of a doubt. At the moment, the fact that they are not able to consolidate that position uh, does not reflect well on on the league. You are
2: listening to Andy Scott and Le Beaujeu podcast. If you have any questions or comments to make as well, send us in an email to league1podcast at (laughs) gmail.com. next game we're going to have a look at olympique de marseille versus angers angers already already relegated after a record breaking season for all the wrong reasons olympique de marseille are still dreaming of that second place finish behind paris saint-germain the title has got away ian holyman saw this now one an opportunity here for angers to break worried
5: silence around the velodrome what a strike as well Fabulous goal from Abdallah Sima. The velodrome stunned into silence by Angers. Fabulous strike from the Senegalese forward. No chance for Paul Lopez. And the shock scoreline here reads Marseille 0. Relegated Angers 1. Some degree of concern as Payet plays that in. And Sanchez is there, looks across immediately. To see whether the flag is raised. It isn't. Surely VAR will take a look. But that could well be Alexis Sanchez's 18th competitive strike of a really fine campaign for the Chilean. It's in the afterburners. Tries to squeeze between three and does brilliantly. Now Sanchez. And still. And Payet, surely. And Dimitri Payet grabs a crucial goal for Marseille. His first start since early February. And he's repaid Igor Tudor and just added another line to his legend at OM. Two and two games now for Payet after he scored in the defeat to Lens last weekend. He's seen the pictures. What's it going to be? It's a penalty. Verratu against Bernardoni. This to seal it, is it? It is. Sends Bernardoni the wrong way. Bernardoni going to his left. Veratu
2: sending the ball to the goalkeeper's right. JJ, Marseille then. We spoke about the run in for them and Lens, but they are keeping pace with Lens. And uh, how did you see this one down on the on the South Coast? Because uh, it's been a topsy-turvy season for, for them by their own amazing standards, but they're still there.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think they will try and keep the pressure up as much as possible. Uh, like I said earlier, I do think a lot is going to depend now on that game against Lille. Uh, you know, but equally you know, it wouldn't sort of be a, a Marseille home performance this season without some sort of, uh, you know, sense of jeopardy. And uh, obviously, Angers going ahead through Simo, fantastic finish, by the way, uh, you know, wasn't a huge surprise. And then, you know, Marseille coming back strong. So I think that does sort of illustrate this determination that they have to, you know, to really push Lance as, uh as hard as they can. But, you know, it just kind of feels that You know, at some point, uh, you know, Marseille will put in this kind of performance, which, you know, really puts uh, their top two hopes at risk. Uh, And, you know, the fact that they're already two points back on Lance going into that really crunch game against Lille now. Uh, you know, it does kind of feel like it's kind of make or break time, and there's no guarantee as well. Even if uh, you know Marseille, uh, you know, are to win that game against Lille, uh, that Lance will drop the points in order for them to to get back into second before the end of the season. So, uh, you know, I think it was uh, overall a, a a deserved victory. Uh, obviously, seeing uh, Dimitri Payet getting on the the score sheet again, uh, you know, he's kind of come back into the reckoning a little bit, uh, you know, of late after what's been a quite a difficult season for OM's former talisman, but. Um, no, it is it. It is going to be a fascinating watch over the final three rounds of games. Uh, but, you know, I would still kind of put my money on loss, I think.
2: Andy, Marseille have won now 24 points after falling behind. It was their sixth come-from-behind win this season. Now, we talk about sometimes a, a lack of character in a Paris Saint-Germain side. Igor Tudor has this Marseille side overflowing with character. It's almost, not, maybe not quite Marcelo Bielsa, Levels in terms of fandom, and but this these Marseille fans, I think they like the cut of his jib. They like this side, the way it's performing. I'll give you a chance to continue, perhaps your uh, your European discussion with yourself here, mm-hmm. because Marseille have been notoriously poor in Europe as well in the Champions League, despite having being the only French club to have won the Champions League. They 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 made that UEFA Cup final as well. About well, it's twenty years ago now, probably to. It is 20 years ago. My goodness, that's incredible. <laughs> Against Valencia, when Didier Drogba was there. Um, how do you see this Marseille side? Is it one that's at, at ease with its fans, which is so important there? And can they go on with it next season
1: and do something in Europe? Such a volatile club, isn't it, uh, Marseille? I mean, you know, you look at the, just the, the cup run this season when they beat PSG and everybody down there was thinking this is going to be our year to, to win the cup for the first time in 34 years, and then they lose on penalties to Annecy of the second division in the next round at the Velodrome. That kind of sums up Marseille in some respects. Um, listen, I mean, the, obviously, the, their run in, the, in Europe this season ended in agonising fashion too, with that last gasp goal by Tottenham at the Velodrome uh, in the group stage in, in November. So, you know, the, they, they were very close to continuing in Europe, albeit not in, in the Champions League. They could have dropped into the Europa League and done something there. I think the problem with Marseille actually is that they are they are a club who, you know, in terms of the, the fervour of their support, in terms of the atmosphere at the Velodrome, that stadium, the, you, everything about that club you'd think they, they should be in the Champions League, but I think in terms of the team, they're not quite at Champions League level. They've shown, obviously, that they can compete in, in the Europa League. They got to the final in 2018 and and, and that is a competition that is perhaps more suited to, to where they're at with Igor Tudor with that current team. Um, There are lots of Sort of things that make you worry about the intensity with which they play are that would they be able to cope, you know, I think they struggled in the early weeks of this season at times, you know the difficulty of 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 combining the league with with European football playing at that level of intensity is difficult. um if they finish third, I think you touched on it before, Robbie, obviously, and we've touched on it before at length in the podcast, you know, the difficulty of potentially having to come through two qualifying rounds um to get to the Champions League group stage. and obviously, You know, the uncertainty of then being in the Champions League at all, what that means in terms of building your squad for next season. There will be lots of comings and goings again at Marseille over the summer. Uh, Pablo Longoria will be wheeling and dealing as he always does. And I'm not sure what kind of budget there will be to do that. And then, of course, you've got the issue of the coach, because I don't think it's guaranteed that Igor Tudor will be there next season. I think that, you know, there has been talk in Italy that Juventus might be interested in him. Obviously, he, he he was a former Juventus player, He's coached in Italy before the job he did at Verona last year was what was what led to Marseille um, appointing him. So there is just that possibility that I mean, he does the majority of his press conferences in Italian when he's not speaking in English. He doesn't do them in French. Um, That's the same for his post-match interviews. So I think the chances are that he will move back to Italy sooner or later. Um, The Marseille job is never one for which a coach will stay for the long term, so they might. They might just be looking for another manager again, even though that Tudor has done a fine job. That might actually turn out to be a problem for Marseille because they they might not be able to keep hold of him. but there's always so much uncertainty and I just think that they are a club who of course they can do something in Europe. I just don't know if if the way Marseille are set up at the moment is quite um is is quite what you need to to be really competitive in the Champions League. but we'll see. I mean, you know there's 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 still time it's still going to be it's going to be a different team next season to what it is now, you know, that, that's, that's just the reality. So let's see what they can do. I think as well, building on this um, sort of idea that, that Andy's put in place, uh, certainly
4: about French clubs um, competing in Europe, something that always seems to be the undoing of Ligue 1 clubs, uh, uh, certainly of late, is sort of a lack of strength in depth because a lot of the French teams in terms of their starting eleven, have starting 11s that can be competitive uh, on the European scene, but it's sort of in terms of the squad, uh, you know, construction where it kind of, you know, undoes them at some point because they struggle to balance domestic and continental duty. Okay. Getting rid of one of the domestic cups kind of has helped at the beginning of each year because the, the schedule isn't as congested. You get fewer injuries Well, theoretically you get fewer injuries, but equally, I kind of feel like the undoing of some of these teams, uh, you know, that we've seen have, you know, great runs and then, suddenly suffer, you know, really crushing heartbreak. You know, you've had the likes of Nantes, you've had the likes of Rennes, uh, you know, in recent seasons, uh, you know, it kind of comes because they don't have the strength in depth necessary uh, to compete. I mean, obviously, Marseille were extremely unfortunate in the manner uh, of their exit from Europe entirely in the group stage of the Champions League. You would have thought that they'd at least drop down into the Europa League. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it's just not to be. Things conspire against you in the way that they did. But it does feel like overall, the last couple of years, it's certainly no coincidence that when PSG and Lyon were at their best sort of in the Champions League a couple of years ago, it came after a massive rest period when obviously Lyon had gone uh, on pause and all the other leagues had to finish uh, their season much later than usual because of COVID-19. So it. You know, I do feel that there has to be a bit more attention on the way that some of these squads are built. And I know that sort of the league is taking things in hand at the moment with this CVC deal. And in theory, uh, you know, French clubs are going to be better set up for success. And certainly success in Europe is going to be incentivized in the future with sort of the reported division uh of of future TV rights supposedly favoring the the clubs that are going to, you know, compete in Europe. But you know, it does also kind of feel alarming, you know, when you've had Labrun sort of infamously, uh, I think it was about a year ago or so coming out and saying that if we don't maintain our place in the top five in Europe, we might as well become the Slovenian league. It's, uh, you know, it does, it it does kind of feel like it's getting to that sort of point of desperation at times when you see these clubs that you know should be able to compete, uh, you know, at that level, just sort of failing to do so. And let's not also, you know, let's not forget that there's been just a massive bad luck factor as well. You know, Monaco being on the end of a, a wicked deflection against Shakhtar Donetsk, Rennes falling victim to pretty much the same thing as well against the same team. You know, sometimes your your luck is just not in. And, you know, fingers crossed that there are going to be better days to come for French clubs uh, on the European scene. But it does kind of feel time now, uh, you know, that, you know, these teams really step up and perform in Europe, even more so than domestically, actually.
2: So one of those sides that was in Europe, as we've discussed This already this season was OGC Nice but it was a fairly meek Nice that went down to a Strasbourg side desperate for the points and courtesy of a Habib Diallo double his 40th and 41st goals in 100 Liga matches for Strasbourg they got up by two goals to nil for the third time this season Habib Diallo scoring inside the opening minute that's got to be some sort of record as well Habib Diallo has now brought up 20 goals this season and most importantly, perhaps, it's his form that may see them escape the drop. He scored 14 in 2023. Only Alexander Lacazette can say they've done that well. The other side fighting with Strasbourg for survival are Osserre. And they went down 1-0 to Brest, a result that could just save Brest's season as well because that is a crucial three points for them as they pull away, perhaps definitively, from the drop zone, leaving Strasbourg and Auxerre to fight for that last place in the drop zone, of course, as we've said several times this season. Four clubs going down, only two coming up as the league resizes. Hopefully that may also help the European campaigns of clubs next year as well, playing four less matches in the league next season. And another big match that also has a bearing on who's going down at the end of this season was a replay of the Coupe de France final between Toulouse and Nantes. Kickoff was delayed a little while because the Toulouse fans had uh, placed purple smoke bombs in front of the Nantes away end Uh, anticipating that Nantes would come with their own yellow and green smoke and uh, that they'd try and cover it with purple. Unfortunately, the uh, stadium security thought it may have been uh, a more dangerous abandoned item and so uh, brought in the dogs and and the the D-miners to get rid of it. So all fun and games in the French top flight, of course. And unfortunately for Nantes, they were not able to get that desperately needed revenge, Andy, uh, over Toulouse in this one. And uh, a point at least for Pierre Aristouille, their their new man in charge, who replaced Antoine Comboare. But they desperately need points now, don't they? What do we know about the new man and do we think he can do it?
1: Well, he's he's not got long. Uh, listen, this is a classic move by by a struggling team, a, a sort of desperate last um last attempt to, to avoid the drop by, by sacking the manager because the manager is always the one who who ends up paying the price for, for poor results. Antoine Combari has done a fantastic job at Nantes. If you look back over the last couple of years, what he's achieved there, but the cup final was was a bit of a disaster a couple of weeks ago and the league form has, has gone off a cliff um, and that's despite the fact that it wasn't particularly great before that. So they had to make the change uh, and I think probably at this stage um, looking externally, there weren't many obvious options available to them. So they've gone for the internal option. Pierre Aristoui is not somebody who I knew an awful lot about before the last few days. But you know, you read about what he's done behind the scenes. He's obviously highly regarded. He's had success with the reserve team, with the under nineteens at Nantes. And so they've decided that um the that he could be the man to 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 deliver uh, some success in the last few weeks of the season. He might have the respect within the within the club that is required. He's working with Osvaldo Biscarondo, who was and uh, not fans will remember, and 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 Ligue 1 fans in general may recall from just uh, four or five years ago playing for Not in on the Venezuelan defender with the long curly hair, uh, who was working in charge of of the of the club's uh, women's team. So they put those two together to try and to try and turn results around. I mean, it, you know, it's it's a step in the right direction getting a draw at Toulouse when you look at what Toulouse did to them in the cup final. But other results this weekend have not necessarily gone their way. With Strasbourg winning, with Brest winning. And and so this new management team is going to have to, they're going to have to win two of the last three games, aren't they, to, to to stay up? I think. And and for a club who've only won six games all season, that's that's a tall order. But maybe with this new management team, they'll be in a better position to do it than with Antoine Gombaye, whose whose ideas were no longer getting across to the players by
2: the looks of it. JJ
1: relegation chat.
2: Not have Montpellier, Lille, and Angers. Auxerre have PSG. Toulouse and loss. Not so easy for the side that have that have just come up against the uh former now Coupe de France holders. How do you see that one playing out? Is it down to these two? Are Strasbourg and Brest clear of danger now?
4: I mean it certainly feels that way. Um, you know, it does look like it's a question of how many points Nantes can pick up. I mean, Auxerre have They've kind of been a bit funny under PDC. You've seen them get some really impressive results where you wouldn't necessarily expect them to, but then you've also seen them lose out in some of those really key clashes. Uh, you know, when they when they've really needed the points against teams in and around them. So, I mean, obviously, when you're looking at it on paper. Uh, it's not a favorable run in for Auxerre for in terms of the the names that they're coming up against. But equally, you know, if there's not really that much for some of those teams to play for by then, you know, even if Lens have uh, sort of sewn up second spot by then, depending on Marseille's results, there could potentially be a way where they can pick up a couple of points. I mean, with PSG, it's very much, uh, you know, sort of a, a question of what day you catch them on. I'm sure we'll come to that in a bit. But for me, I think that, I mean, not. There's only so many times that you can sort of repeat the same trick and, and get out of this kind of situation. It worked with Comboire a couple of years ago after that disastrously short stint uh with Dominic in charge. Uh there had been sort of rumors that not were looking at Claude Poil, but with no guarantee that they stay in Ligue 1, uh, you know, it would have been difficult to bring him in for, you know, for this kind of rescue mission. So you know, I do feel like it's probably the right decision from Nantes because it did seem like the the situation was getting pretty toxic with Komboari uh, by the end. But you look at some of the scenes before the match as well, sort of, you know, executives scrapping with each other in the stadium, uh, according to reports, that just shows, you know, that there is a lot of tension, uh, you know, sort of in the upper reaches of that club at this moment in time and probably a recognition that their very league on status is, uh, is on the line because it's crazy to think of, You know, one of the teams representing France in Europe, you know, they had that fantastic atmosphere at the Stade de la Bourgeois uh, ahead of that Juventus game, you know, could be dropping down into Ligue 2 because, uh, you know, when you've already got the likes of Bordeaux, Saint-Etienne, they're not yet certain that that Bordeaux are going to be coming up to Ligue 1 for next season. Uh, you know, the thought suddenly of not joining them in the second tier, it reminds me very much of what's sort of going on in the, the the Bundesliga second tier in Germany at the moment where you have some of those huge names recently. So, you know, fingers crossed, I think, for it, certainly in terms of having one of France's iconic clubs in, in Ligue 1. But equally, uh, you know, Auxerre, you know, are steeped in history as well. So, uh, you know, sadly, it looks like we're going to lose one fairly important club, given the way that, uh, you know,
2: results have been going of late. In Ligue 2 at the moment, it looks like it's going to be Loave and Bordeaux are also there. Bordeaux, between Bordeaux and Metz, perhaps, for that 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 second spot at the moment. So, Bordeaux are former champions. Loave, excellent uh, youth academy traditionally. One game remaining to talk about um, before we get to the big one of Paris Saint-Germain. It was Montpellier and Lorient who played out a 1-1 draw. Romain Fèvre getting uh, a nice finish to uh, surprise Lorient at the start, but Montpellier managed to get back on level terms. And uh, that one finished 1-1, but that's mid-table now, very much mid-table. Lorient's early season heroics have got away from them. I think they sit ninth on the ladder now. So our final match of the weekend we're going to have a look at is another huge talking point. And there was absolutely, again, so much to talk about at the Parc des Princes. It has been quite an amazing place to follow your football this year from a, a, a club pre-World Cup that were looking like they could probably win everything at a canter. Lionel Messi won the World Cup. Kylian Mbappe scored three in a losing final. And, of course, Neymar as well with his... Uh, Brazilian quarterfinal appearance and uh after that it's been well Morocco Ashraf Hakimi as well made the semi-finals but since then the world cup hangover has been brutal for Paris Saint-Germain bundled out of the Coupe de France bundled out of the Champions League as well and their fans have had enough we know that uh when Lionel Messi skipped training 2 weeks ago he was uh Banned by the club, sanctioned by the club—a a two-week ban. He published a, a apologetic video saying it's all a big misunderstanding, and I'm sorry. I should never have gone, but you know, I had no other choice. I had to go. I apologise profusely. It hasn't washed with the supporters who booed him copiously um, pre-match and every time he got the ball in the first half. Which, ironically, and we talk about irony and paradoxes so much when we talk about Paris Saint-Germain because this is Paris Saint-Germain down to a T. Probably one of the worst atmospheres inside the Parc des Plants in years and probably the best performance, albeit against an Ajaxio side who, who uh, well, were fighting for their survival perhaps but were always going down. Um, that was confirmed at the end of the match. But let's start. It was, a, in the end, a very, very accomplished performance by Paris Saint-Germain. Armel Tongi saw all the action as it finished
0: 5-0. Danilo... Fabian Ruiz in on goal here, scores the opener. Lovely finish with the outside of the left boots. 22 minutes on the clock. And Paris Saint-Germain in the lead. It's a third league goal of the season for Fabian Ruiz. signed from the uh, new champions of Italy for 23 million in the summer. He's grown in stature in this Parisian shirt and Grown in confidence too, that is a delightful goal with the outside of the left boot into the top corner. Benat, lovely touch. Kylian Mbappe, can he get it on his right foot? He can, It's touched away by Solokaro and finished by Ashraf Hakimi. A big smile from Neymar, watching on. Lovely touch that from Juan Benat, providing Mbappe with the opportunity. Managed to get a shot away that caused Solokaro enough problems, and his parry was only into the path of uh, Paris's Moroccan fullback Ashraf Hakimi, a fifth league goal of the season for him. Makes it PSG two, Ajax zero. Given away though, straight to Lionel Messi, who's found Ashraf Hakimi and Mbappe making the run towards the penalty spot. Hakimi's uh, ball unable to find him. Verratti. Back out wide for the Moroccan fullback Ashraf Hakimi. Might come for Bernat, Mbappé, Mbappé, lovely touch, Marquinhos back to Eketike, the air shot from Eketike, now Mbappé, and it sneaks in, and there is the goal for Kylian Mbappé. Well, they were queuing up there, the Parisians, and it's their top scorer, Kylian Mbappé who ended up tucking it away for his 25th league goal of the season. Solakaro will be uh, very disappointed with his efforts there, the uh, Corsican goalkeeper. Oh, the possession statistics there in the top corner of your screen say a lot. It's been a very challenging evening for Ajaccio and a very wonderful hit from Kylian Mbappe. Well, the first of his goals, not particularly clean. That one, one of the cleanest of his career, a brilliant volley. Well, I can't really get much more simple than that. Ramos spotted the run of Mbappe. And the header from Avinal almost helped Mbappe, took a bit of speed off the ball. He watched it and fired it past Solacaro. A 26th league goal of the season. That is a special finish from a special player. Back in towards Mbappe, lovely run. Just about keeps it in. Pitinha, lovely first touch. Marquinhos! Yes! 5-0. A birthday present for the Parisian captain. And number five makes it five. This is turning into one of the easiest games of the season for Paris Saint-Germain. The third goal already of this second half. Deflected on its way through. Marquinhos will take it. His third league goal of the season. And Paris' is fifth on the night.
2: Let's throw this one open because we've all been in Paris for long enough to know that when Lionel Messi signed for Paris Saint-Germain, after Neymar, Kylian there, that this one was fraught with danger. It has all come to a head in spectacular fashion but uh jj you were there on on saturday night at the Parc des Princes. did you ever think i mean we've seen i i I mean basically that's what i'm saying did you ever think this could happen of course you did because you you know paris saint-germain and you've been there you've been there so long even though lionel messi just sets the bar a little bit higher but he was the victim of a of a traditionally what would you call it paris saint-germain supporter base long suffering or or Demanding. Because, I mean, yes, yeah, very demanding. A very demanding public.
4: I mean, honestly, if I had to put money on one European club that could potentially suspend and and Lionel Messi, PSG certainly ticks the box in terms of the drama factor. And the, one of the things, I guess, in many ways, that you can kind of cling to at this moment in time when PSG seem to be losing all semblance of, of identity and, and sort of direction is the fact that PSG have always been a a drama club, even well before the arrival of Qatar. I remember there being, you know, no end to controversies, whether it's mole hunting in the dressing room or, you know, a bunch of other different controversies. PSG have always kind of been a magnet for that. But the atmosphere, honestly, um, I was quite shocked by how poor it was at Parc des Princes at the weekend. Uh, And I've I've sampled a lot of atmosphere at Parc des Princes over the years. Even sort of in the the sort of cleaned up um you know post-season ticket era where uh you know PSG were, were were trying to eradicate a lot of the sort of hardcore elements uh of the the fan base. This certainly ranks up there as probably one of the, the worst supporter experiences. The only the one thing that I would add as well is it's not even the first time this season. I remember the atmosphere pre-Bayern Munich in the Champions League was very, very eerie very subdued very much not like a, a big champions league uh, encounter uh, and i think once the game got underway i mean you mentioned sort of the the booing and the whistling of messi there was that but with the ultras no longer being there and some of the the tickets sort of going on sale at the last minute there were a lot of people who'd been waiting for an opportunity to see messi weren't sure if he'd play or not this weekend who snapped up last minute tickets and were basically there just to cheer for Messi. I mean, I feel really sorry for Kylian Mbappe. He scored one of the best goals of the season, Uh, you know, his second against Ajaxio, And, you know, all the chanting, all the noise in the stadium was still for Messi because he touched the ball about three minutes before Mbappe put it in the back of the net. It, you know, it was a very, very bizarre atmosphere. To be honest, it kicked off in very odd circumstances as well. I don't know if you guys saw it. I know, Robbie, you missed the first half an hour or so of the game. So you probably missed... Spider-Man dangling down from the top of the stadium to hand over the the starting 11 team sheets it was an odd experience but equally at the same time kind of in line with what you expect from PSG at this moment in time and you can kind of uh, you know um, empathize with you know the fans uh, and their position at this moment in time questioning you know Really, uh, you know, trying to to force the issue with PSG's leadership as to where the club is going at this moment in time because it feels completely directionless. Yeah, it was one of their most accomplished performances of recent months, but equally, they, they did it. You know, it did, didn't even look like they were, were were sort of even in third gear at
2: times. Andy, giggling away at the thought of of the Paris Saint Germain implosion. How, how did you see this one? And and and. Just put your sporting director hat on for a moment. I mean, there are going to be <laughs> wholesale changes at Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, for people that follow the club closely, maybe even at the Parc des Princes in the coming years, the club is still asking uh, their their members about where they should move, if they, if they should stay at the Parc des Princes, if they should build a new stadium, if they should move to the Stade de France. I mean, everywhere you look, there are spot fires at this club at the moment if 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 you're a sporting director if you're general manager I mean give us some insight what 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 not what can you do because that's you know an impossible job that that people have failed to do for the last last 12 years mm-hmm.
1: but but do you see wholesale changes coming again Well just <clears throat> just briefly on the game the game was um you know I, I wasn't at the party prince on Saturday night so I'm, I'm I'm going by watching it on TV but it was a non-event it was a completely not a non-event as the atmosphere not contributing to that, and it kind of kind of ties in what we said at the beginning of the, of the podcast about Lens, right? So PSG go and hammer a team five nil at home, and it's kind of dismissed as as this non event and stuff like that. If Lens had done that, yeah, we probably would have been raving about it, but the atmosphere would have been very different. Everything would have been very different. And um, it's at the end of a season in which you know it's been such a a disappointing campaign for PSG, despite the fact they're going to win a, a record eleventh French league title. Um. And and what I find most exhausting about it is that we were having this exact conversation a year ago. You know, when they won the league a year ago, we were having these conversations about the changes that were needed about the atmosphere at the club not being what it should be. And and the situation is exactly the same. So in a way, if I'm the sporting director, in a way, um, you know, making wholesale changes is fine. But this is what Luis Campos came in last year and and did, at least tried to do. He did make sweeping changes, not to the extent that he wanted to, um, and they're going to have to do it again and I think that one of the problems at PSG of course is you've got all these guys out on loan, that you, you, you can't move them on permanently, some of them will come back, perhaps one or two will be involved in the first team picture, it makes it very hard to know exactly what your budget is because you you need to, uh, PSG have huge amounts of money um, they have ways of getting around um, dealing with financial fair play of course and, and trying to fit in with the rules which are in place but they do still have to deal with the huge wage bill on on their hands, trying to move players on. It makes it complicated. It's not just the case of, we want that player, we'll take him. Thank you very much. Um, In any case, I don't think it's just about who you sign, about moving players on, bringing players in. I think there is a general atmosphere at the club and, and the atmosphere in the stands is part of it. There's a general atmosphere at the club which is not conducive to success at the very highest level because football is so competitive at the very top, you look at what Manchester City are doing. They they are kind of the benchmark in Real Madrid because Real Madrid have this incredible winning culture. PSG are trying to build this winning culture. They're trying to put everything in place like Manchester City have done. None of it has worked yet. And I think, all, you know, you can't just blame the manager because managers come and go. You can't just blame the players because they're signing some absolutely magnificent footballers. Now, okay, some of them might not have the right attitude and all the rest of it. You can't only blame the sporting director because the sporting director is trying to sign the right players to make a winning team. I think the people at the very top probably also need to take a look at themselves and think about the what the image that they're projecting. Um, you know, the president has been there for more than a decade now. It's not quite, you know, they, 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 everything is in place, but they, they must be thinking, what can we do better um, to, to take this club that extra step? They're, they're so close, PSG. They're so close. They have the money. They have... Kylian Mbappe, even if they lose Lionel Messi, in a way they don't need that much, but but something within that club from the very top needs to change to to get them pulling in the right direction to make them potential Champions League winners. Because they've, as you've seen, Robbie, in the last couple of years since you left, since you moved away, they've really gone gone away from that, from being finalists and semi finalists. Where they are now, and and bringing Messi, in maybe is part of that, and and Messi moving on is, I don't think is a bad thing.
2: I don't know if there's a direct link, although I have heard it mentioned, Andy, that my departure may be uh, <laughs> in some way linked to the disappointing Champions League campaigns of the last, the last couple of years. JJ, how do you then explain that before the World Cup, and I know this is a leading question, and I have my own idea, but before the World Cup, this side was unbeatable, and Messi and Neymar. And and Killian and everyone were playing. I mean, Vitinia arrived and hit the ground running. Marco Verratti was looking, looking a fantastic player. Gigio Donnarumma was making saves. Is this and the point that that this was all in the lead up to the World Cup? And in the World Cup, Messi was incredible. Killian, all the players were 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 amazing. They were so focused on that of of getting it right. Everyone was saying Christoph Galtier is the the man of the moment. This is. Is it in fact just a matter of getting these players and giving them the right motivation and saying, look, somehow convincing them to go out and do it and you don't really need to coach them at all. Because in that first half of the season, they were untouchable because they all had the motivation of going to the World Cup. And once that was gone, they they clearly lost. I mean, Neymar injured, obviously, uh, once again, but but there's something. That, I mean, Ashraf Hakimi becomes just the third Paris Saint-Germain player sent off in, in back-to-back matches at, at the weekend as well. I mean, what do PSG need? Do they need coaches? Is it, is, it, is it a problem at the top? Or you just need someone like perhaps Jose Mourinho, who we heard very strong rumors this week that he's going to come in, to just be someone bigger than the club to say, look, players, go out and do what you need to do.
4: Wow, how many uh, how many volumes do you want my response to to, to encompass? I mean, there, there there is there's a lot to unpack there, and I think there's there is certainly an element of that this squad, uh, this club in general, uh, you know, needs a, needs a strong hand, needs more discipline. There needs to be more discipline from the top down. Uh, I don't think necessarily that having you know somebody who's achieved a lot in the in the game as uh, as manager would be uh, would be a bad thing. I mean, sort of specific to Mourinho, um, you know, we can sort of debate if he's still in his managerial prime, but I know that he's earning rave reviews at the moment for what he's doing with Roma. uh, And obviously, could potentially win uh, a second uh, consecutive European title uh, by the end of this season, based on how things are going in the Europa League at the moment. But I think, sort of, with regards to the World Cup break and sort of motivating the players, the decompression period, uh, sort of, after the World Cup. Uh, you know, I think did a lot of damage to, to PSG uh, you know, there was this focus before the world cup, but that, like you said, was because the players were getting themselves ready to represent their countries. That motivation. I mean, you know, I think you'd have to be pretty naive to believe that the players were motivated for what was going on for PSG on the pitch. It was more preparation, uh, you know, for them ahead of a massive assault on the world cup uh, in Qatar at the end of the year. and, I don't think that PSG ever really got over that, whether there could have been a better way to handle those key absences immediately after the world cup, because, you know, there there was already a a very difficult dynamic going on. As soon as the world cup final had been played, Kylian Mbappe and Ashraf Hakimi immediately came back to Paris to play a part for PSG in a couple of games before going away. Messi, you know, took his time before coming back. We know that Neymar was, you know, already injured uh, with Brazil, you know, tried his best to get back into action and then obviously, uh, you know, ended up injuring himself further and ultimately had to undergo surgery. You know, there were reports as well that certain players who weren't involved in the World Cup didn't exactly look after themselves during that break as well. I know that recently in the French press, there's been reports that Virati actually returned overweight to training and the the PSG staff were up in arms about how he basically let himself go mid season. So, you know, there is sort of, uh, you know, a strong argument now building that PSG do need that kind of, uh, you know, authoritative figure. And I kind of when we've been talking about PSG sort of this in this last 20 minutes or so, I uh, it takes me all the way back to the beginning of the QSI project. We're talking about like sort of PSG compared to like these institutions that have that winning culture. PSG tried to put it into place with Carlo Ancelotti and they missed their opportunity then. That, I think, was the, the moment to bring in an Ancelotti or a, a Mourinho. And with that, you know, it had that worked worked out better, you could potentially argue that PSG wouldn't have all of these sort of off the, or wouldn't have as many off the field problems. Uh, you know, but equally, like I said, we, know, we all know PSG's history, uh, you know, too well, perhaps, you know, that sort of sense of drama, uh, you know, would still have engulfed the, the club afterwards. But certainly in terms of the World Cup, it feels like everybody's season was built up around that event, and after that, anything that kind of followed was was a bit trivial, really, which you know is hugely upsetting. Uh, you know, for 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 those of us who are really getting ourselves up for you know for the, for this fantastic league on title race that just you know basically just dissolved uh, you know in front of us over the course of a, a couple of weeks at the beginning of the year.
2: I suggest that it, in next week or the week after, we're going to go through and and come up with an idea of what could be a Paris Saint Germain starting eleven next season. Who's in and who's out? Because we're hearing rumours that Messi could be uh, taking off little Marco Verratti in his back pocket, along with Sergi, Sergio Busquets, to go and play in Saudi Arabia. There's talk of Neymar to Newcastle United. Um, talk of wholesale changes. As Andy mentioned as well the likes of. Mauro Icardi and Julian Draxler who are still on the books um, who, who will be coming back. What role will they play? There's a there's a host of youngsters as well who are around France and Switzerland and Belgium playing in playing in other leagues as well. So one to keep an eye on. So we'll tune in next week or the week after and we will uh, do a big deep dive into, into the Paris Saint-Germain transfer market. We'll try and get a couple of uh, special guests in to discuss that one. With us as well. Don't forget we are on Twitter, League One underscore ENG for English, League One underscore Eng. Follow us on there, that's the official League One Twitter feed. It uh, will also direct you to league1.com, the official website where we have all the videos every weekend of every game, every goal, every save, all the big moments. You can catch it all there, as well as interviews, reports, features everything you'll find it all on league1.com time for our deja vu competition your chance to win a league one jersey and uh, as you know each month we give away one mystery league one jersey today it is the third in uh, the may series of clues we're going to have one two more before we uh, announce the winner on the final podcast of the season which will be on monday the 5th of June after that final round of matches but to answer you have to uh, work out who we're talking about and send it in an email to league1podcast at gmail.com to go in to your chance to win the jersey so here is this week's clue. Who am I? I was born in the south of France and left my hometown club at 18 to sign my first pro contract in Ligue 2. After five years in blue four in the top flight, I headed north and joined the champions, with whom I won my first piece of silverware, the Coupe de la Ligue. Nicknamed the Butcher or the Samurai, I generally left a trail of destruction in my wake, although that of course all depended on how long I was allowed to stay on the pitch. In one famous post-match interview, I said, The referee should have been sent off, not me, given his performance tonight. After a 17-year professional career and over 350 matches, I won the French Ligue 1 title and promptly retired. Who am I and what Ligue 1 record do I co-hold to this day? So if you think you know who it is, send your answers via email to league1podcast at gmail.com. any ideas in there as clearly someone who could get stuck in it's a tough one a tough one but but i think it i think it's gettable i think it's gettable there are a couple of clues
4: i'd say say that i'd say that we can class him firmly in the the cult hero or anti-hero category
2: they do feature quite often in my clues it's true and uh and i think this is absolutely one of those (laughs) all right we're almost done Time to look ahead to next weekend's matches then. Time for our bon voyage coming up in round 36. The big games, Olympic Lyonnais versus Monaco. Unfortunately, in terms of Champions League football, it's the orso runs, but Monaco can still secure their place in Europe next season. Lille take on Olympique de Marseille. Marseille desperate for the points and Lille also in their fighting with Wren hot on their heels. Wren travel to relegated Ajaxio now. Lorient take on Lens as we keep an eye on the title race and the Champions League race. And at the other end of the table, Auxerre will entertain the league leaders Paris Saint-Germain. JJ, you first. What catches your fancy here and why?
4: Spoiled for choice. I mean... I'm really torn uh you know between two of the two of the games on the Saturday uh to either go to Nantes or Lille but I think I'm probably just going to go to to Lille uh you know based solely on the fact that it will have such so, such big ramifications on that potential shakeup for the for the top 3 spots for me I feel that's where it's going to play out for Marseille so uh, I'll be
1: heading north this weekend for that Andy well I mean yeah obviously that that one and the PSG game are... are are probably the two standouts because there's a lot riding on both of them. Um, the other one that I might suggest would be a trip to Brittany on, on Sunday for the Lorient-Lance game because uh, it's always nice to go to Brittany and Lance having a great season. But also, if um, if Lance don't win that game, then it means that PSG will be in a position to win the league um, next Sunday night because PSG are currently six points ahead three games left, so if Lance win next weekend the title cannot be decided next weekend, even though PSG's far superior goal difference means that a win next weekend will effectively decide the title, but if Lance slip up in that game it, it sets up Paris Saint-Germain to be officially crowned champions um, on Sunday night by bettering Lance's results, so, so why not go to Lorient and, um, and, and keep an eye on what happens there before watching the, the PSG game while eating a crepe for your tea uh, in front of the port in L'Oreal. Well, that's exactly right. If I if I could get away, although we do have the semi-finals
2: on in the the playoff semi-finals in the Australian First Division at the moment, so I, I'm looking forward to that. But if, if I could jump on a plane and fly into Paris and then head down to Auxerre, I would for that game, even if the good old days of Guy Roux, who was there for 46 years as coach of as, as coach and basically the main man at that football club Auxerre. Heard, heard him tell a fantastic story once of when they qualified for the Champions League and Liverpool were were, were visiting uh, down there and Liverpool fans had that incredible reputation. If you've ever been to Auxerre, or if you haven't, go because it's a very small, picturesque little town in Burgundy, great wine and eating. There's a Michelin-star restaurant in the town as well where Giroud used to always take his... Uh, Take his guests, and and I think Chablis is the the white wine of the region, which is a fantastic white wine. And down there, Liverpool were coming, and and Auxerre, the city, was petrified of what was going to happen if thousands of Liverpool fans turned up in what is essentially a, a little village. And uh, Giroud sent down um, the the Auxerre's young ladies with sandwiches and Coca Cola and gave them out to the Liverpool fans when they got off the train and off their coaches and just to say, you're welcome, you're very welcome here. Here's a sandwich and a, and a drink. Relax, enjoy your time here in, in Oxair. And it worked. No trouble whatsoever <laughs> in the town. And uh, I don't know what the result of the game was, though, but I imagine Oxair in, in, in the mid-90s w- would have given Liverpool a little run for their money as well. We'll see if anyone can quickly get on that. But so many great stories out of the, the Giroud repertoire. Well,
4: didn't, didn't, uh, didn't Liverpool end up uh, taking uh, Bernard Diomed back with them after
2: that game? Yeah, ah, exactly. Yes, very good point. A World Cup winner. And now uh, coaching in the, in the youth ranks, isn't he? Of the, the French national team, I think. Bernard Diomed was for a long time. <laughs> So that's it then for this round. We will be back, of course, next week with the latest episode of Le jeu Don't forget to send your questions, your answers to the quiz to league one gmail.com. All the video highlights of the weekend's actions and the entire season in full HD on league1.com as well. And for your podcasting platforms, like, subscribe, follow and recommend. Gentlemen, we'll be back. Next week, of course, to look at round 36. There's also uh, European football coming up that uh, will be getting everyone interested in midweek, even if it's over for the French sides. But it's the business end of the season in Europe around all the domestic competitions. And that is very much the case in France as well. The noose is tightening on 17th place. There'll be another Deja who quiz, of course, with your chance to win that final Ligue 1 jersey Of the season, that's and much much more, and we will also be addressing who's in and who's out at Paris Saint-Germain for next season. I won't be back, but I'm sure Ian Holyman will be to take you through all of that and more on the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in English. Le Beaujeux gentlemen, thank you for your time this morning. Cheers, Robert. Thanks, and we will see you again soon. Bye bye.